Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I am your host, Alex Danzig. We're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin Conversation Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Thomas Strolight, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, every morning and become part of the conversation yourself. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. What a cool weekend that was at Bitblock Boom, huh? That was awesome. Dude, I'm uh I'm exhausted to say the least. And I, I couldn't make it out with everybody else. Everybody was up until like two or three AM from what I'm hearing. I'm I'm passing Dude. out anywhere between nine and midnight. Yeah, me too. I'm old. I went to bed at like nine <laughs> o'clock on Friday night. People are like texting me, like, hey, come out. I'm like, Yeah, no, I'm going to bed. And then Saturday night, I stayed up late. I went to bed at midnight. Some of these knuckleheads are up to like four o'clock, four thirty in the morning. Like, what's Dude, wrong with these people? Saturday night, everybody was like, I think everybody like shooting texts and trying to figure out like what everybody else was doing was like must have like stressed me out. <laughs> I went to bed at like eight forty-five Saturday. I was like, no, nah, I'm not. I'm not trying to be out with all the craziness. I don't know. I'm kind of also been that way with like I'd rather go out with like the bartenders on like a Tuesday night, you know, than go out with like the entire mob on a Saturday night. Yeah, I laughed at your tweet. Uh, I was on the plane yesterday and you were like tweeting, man, I can't wait to go home or something like that. And it was just cracking me up. I was gone for like 14 days, but Bitblock Boom was the highlight of my trip. And uh, but yeah, I was uh, pretty excited. to get Yeah, it, like my mood probably would have been different if I didn't spend two weeks on the first half of August helping the, the GAM field team out in the oil fields in North Dakota. Like if my entire month wasn't just a screwed up mess, like as far as like sleep routine goes, I probably would have been able to have a lot better time. But I have fun working with the field team, so I'm not necessarily complaining. And then, of course, we had Tone Vays who manned the Swan booth for a little while. Thank you, Tone. Appreciate that, bro. Morning, guys. Well, I literally just woke up. I thought, is it 10 a.m. Eastern time right now? Because I'm in a different time zone, I guess. <laughs> I'm not in Texas anymore either. I already flew out. I, I thought I was on East Coast time. Shit. Well, what, 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 what time is it East Coast time? It's 10 a.m. Yeah, it's, and it's good to know that the very first thing you do when you roll out of bed is to join Cafe Bitcoin. That's yeah, that's literally I, the, the, the rollout of that hasn't actually happened yet either. Uh, no, I'm in Panama and I really, <laughs> and I really thought that I was at Eastern time because I'm like literally like just South of Florida, but I guess they're, I have no idea. It's also good to know that we're all rolling, uh, out of bed, essentially in the same mind state. We're just all fuck retired. Yeah. I was hosting poker till five 30 in the morning, both nights. It was like crazy. <laughs> You're a madman. You're a madman. And then you and then you went to Panama on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday morning. Yeah, that was, that was not easy either. Jack Mollers was on my flight yesterday heading out of Austin, and it made me feel good that he looked about as fed up with socialization as I was. 
Well, I mean, Mahler's is like, it's interesting to watch that dude's work ethic, man. He was working the whole time. Like, I mean, he was like socializing, but he was working. You understand what I'm saying? Like, and here's some weird. So I met, I, I met Jack. I had a chance to talk to him for a little bit. Here's the weird part. I met Mahler's before I've met, I haven't met Corey in person yet. That's a little weird. Uh, I could understand that because, like, they, I mean, I think running, getting to meet both of them is kind of like, uh, you know, catching a, a legendary Pokemon. Like, you kind of just, like, it's all random. Like, you, like, you can't, it's really hard to plan for it. <laughs> catching a legendary Pokemon. It was cool to meet you in person, Hobart. Here's the Dude, funny thing yeah. for people yeah. who don't know Hobart. He's far more friendly in spaces than he is in person. He's a grumpy bastard in person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was hanging out, uh, I think, with Hoddle Tarantula. And then Mike walks up on me and he's like, hey, what's up? What's up? And I'm like, I'm Jacob. And he's like, Jacob. And I was like, you're Mike? I was like, whoa, dude. Like, that happened with so many people that I saw. I was like, what's up? So it was like, it was an incredible time. Really awesome meeting a lot of you. All right. So funny story. I'm sitting there at the Voltage table talking to nate by the way he's down in the audience aka beef for bacon one and uh i'm talking to him for like 10 fucking minutes and i'm like man this is really cool you guys should come on our show and he's like yeah i've been on your show i'm like what he's like yeah i'm like what's your twitter handle he goes beef for bacon then it clicked in my brain like oh you're beef or bacon <laughs> isn't that funny how that works i mean i knew exactly who he was as soon as he said beef or bacon it's weird too how like uh like the the audio on spaces can be a little like slightly different from hearing the the in, real person's voice like in like in person and then you kind of have to like some of the people with like different headsets and stuff you kind of have to sift through it a little bit before you are like okay yeah you are you really are who you're saying like not necessarily uh getting like duped or anything like that yeah, also, I'm saying it right now, like, next year, when I see Anthony again and TC. You're, you're in the Matrix, the first, too. Right, though, the first time you meet all these people that you don't know what they look like, but you just know them from spaces, and you don't see them again for a year. It's like that. There's no way I'm going to, like, I'm going to be like a total dick. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I don't think we met. Yep, One shout out to Neil Jacobs. Good morning, Neil. <clears throat> good morning. I uh, really had a good time meeting a few of you for the first time, seeing some old friends, and I'm uh, already looking forward to the Pacific Bitcoin Conference and seeing, seeing you all again. Yeah, on one day I was repping a FOMO 21 shirt that Neil sent me. Thank you. I also yeah. almost yeah. ran Neil over on a scooter. That was that was cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wait, yeah, no. Alex, yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't even see you there. Well, like I didn't say hi to you in person. What? I don't think. Did we? At the M many times, you just didn't recognize me. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I said hi to you at least eight times. He was wearing a hat with. A, you just uh, didn't know it was like me. I guess. Style shirt most of the time. Yeah, Alex, I guess your star is just not rising. Ooh. You know, I mean, no, it's, <laughs> it's the, it's the, it's the, I'm a cartoon on Twitter. That's the thing. 
Yeah, that, I mean that. Yeah, that would be a thing. But you you weren't at the SWAT booth. Yeah, I was a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> not 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 when I was sitting at, at it like like yeah, you know, I was like a couple hours. of times. A couple of times, you just didn't realize it was me. <laughs> that is so goddamn yeah. funny right now. I have people. All right. Tone, the next time I run into you in person, I'm going to grab you by the shoulders. I'm going to lick you in the face and I'm going to say, I'm Alex with Cafe Bitcoin. That's going to make one thing a little bit more memorable than the other. Don't don't get, don't get weird, Mike. Okay. I just wanted to clarify. All right, see, this is actually what I said. In my defense, I've only met Alex once in person that I actually remember. And it was like walking out of some event in Miami for like 45 seconds. That was our only like interaction. It was at like the, the downstairs lobby of that like bar. I think it was after not Svetsky's dinner, but one of the other ones. So it was the only time we run into each other. All right. Well, we'll, we'll rectify this. I also met D in person. Morning, D. How you doing, dude? Morning, guys. Yeah, I just want to say it was nice uh, meeting you all. It was uh, such a fun time and it was great taking Tone's uh, money. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> poker was uh, poker was fun, and yeah, no, I, I loved uh, meeting you all and Surfer Jim. Uh, it was great to uh, listen to your workshop, and yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for the the uh, experience, guys. It was great. Can't wait for the next one. Hey, so I, I wasn't there, but I'd, I'd like to know from from people what voice actually matched the visage once they met somebody in person, and. Without question. Yeah, I think Ant and uh, TC. Ant and TC for sure were definitely, uh, uh, I was like, oh my gosh, no way. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. And uh, Ant, yeah. Ant's, Ant's, Ant's a baller. Uh, we were out a little uh, late night and he bought me pizza uh, when my credit card wasn't working because I'm from, from Canada. So a uh, big shout out to Ant for that. Appreciate it, man. Anytime, brother. Ironically, I recognized Jacob right away, and uh, I was chatting with him for a while. The one that doesn't show his face ever, uh, just to host the spaces. Uh, hanging out with you, Tone, was the highlight of my week, man. Absolutely loved it. Not to mention, <laughs> Thanks, I think Jacob might be the one that statistically has said the least amount on spaces, and <laughs> that's the one you recognized. <laughs> yeah. So I got to meet Surfer Jim. That was cool. He gave me a ride over to the breakfast. Okay. We got to hang out a little bit. I, I heard some good uh, good words about Surfer Jim did a did a uh, presentation at Bitblock Boom, and uh, I heard it went pretty well. Good morning, guys. Uh, I'm working on about five hours sleep or less. I, my plane got delayed. I got in at four in the morning. Not fun, but uh, the event was awesome. I'm really disappointed I didn't get to meet Ant and Mike, who apparently were there, uh, but there was just so many people. It was nonstop talking. And Tone, I get it, man. I met people over and over. I'm like, did, when do we meet? Oh, yesterday, dude. I'm like, oh, fuck, sorry. <laughs> yeah, like, like you did meet me. I did see. I don't remember, yep. dude. You didn't tell me your name was Ant. I would have remembered. There's no way you told me that. I don't know what we said, and I'm sorry if you actually did say that. And I, now I don't remember. I don't drink. All you guys know, I was never drunk the whole time. 
but I'm just running around like a nut and it's hard, man. It's a lot of people. Yeah, so, there's tons of people. Moon is hell. There's an unreal amount of intros and handshaking and first meeting people. You like, yeah, I, I think we all understand that. I had dinner with someone who was sitting two seats next to me, and the next day I reintroduced myself. I didn't remember. So. <laughs> <laughs> what happens? It's crazy. Yeah, Neil recognized me at poker as Ant. Once I said that I was Ant, he goes, "Oh, you're Red Ant, <laughs> the Red Ant." Yeah, the robot, the red robot-looking guy. I got suckered into poker with TC. We were outside talking, and he was explaining to me how the hands in poker work. So he's, I'm starting to realize he's a good poker player. Uh-huh. And then we go into the casino night, and I don't gamble, so I'm like, I'm like, what do I do with my free chips? Where do I? He's like, let's go play poker. So he has me sitting there playing poker. I of course promptly lost it all, but it was definitely fun uh, the whole time. And tones, tones poker game two nights in a row, all unbelievable. These guys all night long, but it is so fun. The people that are willing to stay up till two, three in the morning. I mean, the other night I was up till three thirty. Five, five, five thirty both nights. Dude, I couldn't make it the whole night. I had shit to do the next day. You guys are crazy, but it is fun as hell. Yeah, I think uh, Tone and I were bleeding out for like six hours straight in poker, and I think I hit uh, pocket aces at five in the morning, and I took someone's hundred bucks from them, and I was, I was like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> And we were, uh, it, was, it was great, but man, it was, uh, what a night, what a night. Yeah, it was funny. The lady came in, like one of the security guards came in and was like really suspicious about what was going on in the room. And, and she, she was hesitant to give us like up to one, like 1 a.m. And then out of the blue, this other person came in and she said that she was the boss over that other one. And she said, I'm the cool one. You guys can stay till six in the morning. <laughs> I think when that happened, I saw this lady was saying, was talking. I was like right by the door when, when this lady was leaving, go, no, you guys are cool. You guys are cool. Don't even worry. I'm in charge here. And I'm like, oh, wow, that lady's pretty damn cool. So they were very accommodating. The hotel did not, we had, I didn't see any hassles. Nobody seemed to get hassled. And that was very cool because there's been issues in the past with like 35 people hanging out in the lobby at three in the morning making noise. Sometimes they don't like that. So they were pretty cool this time. Oh, God. Right, for, for those of you who don't know what we're all talking about, um, this was all about BitBlock Boom this last weekend. So amazing times. It's really great when Bitcoiners get together face to face. Shenanigans does ensue, but like the the kind of friendships and the hugs and the everything. That's that's why I go. I mean, the speeches are great. Um, the best one for me was was either Mahler's or Jeff Booth. Jeff Booth was amazing. Like that blew my damn mind. I do hope they put that up like as an individual kind of video on YouTube or something because everybody needs to hear that speech that Jeff did. That was like absolutely mind-blowing but again the point of going to these things i think for the most part is is meeting the people and and building these relationships so you guys have two months to rest up pacific bitcoin conference is coming up in november 10th and 11th i do hope to see a lot of you there yeah my favorite was hodl tarantula's mining talk that was that was really awesome that was packed. He had like a full room. A lot of people wanted to hear him. He's a great guy, that that dude, for sure.
And Gazla, who doesn't think she's a good public speaker, got up to do an introduction and looked like the ultimate pro up there, girl. You did awesome. You need to practice and get good and, and be a public speaker. Tell us about your the fun you had, which I constantly saw. You having a great time. You're you're always so kind to me, Jim. I appreciate you. Um, and thank you for saying all that nice stuff. I had like an absolute blast. Um, it was so fun meeting people that I, you know, even having gone to a couple of these, had not met before. Um, especially you folks on this panel, usually. Alex, great meeting you. Honestly, like, it's so hard to actually pick a highlight. Usually I'm like quick to say beefsteak is the highlight. Beefsteak is a unique highlight, but the people I met this time around were, um, it just felt a little more special because we spend all this time talking. Um, so yeah, it was, I, I have to like reflect on this. It was a long, you know, several days, but nothing but like an amazing time, amazing conversations. Um, and, you know, I think we'll be making more plans to, to do meetups and, and things like that in the future. Yeah, I think uh, I didn't really, uh, I, I underestimated the uh, power of LobbyCon uh, until I got there. And uh, um, the speakers were awesome. You know, I did my workshop as well. And I, I, I don't even think my own workshop was my highlight. It was meeting all those people in the lobby and just like, yeah, just meeting so many people from Twitter that I was like, oh, no way. That's that's you. Oh, yeah. So LobbyCon is definitely where it's at. So don't underestimate it. I just want to add, I know it's expensive, but there's a, a lot of sponsored events um, that the that the conference that's connected to the conference directly when you get your ticket and whatnot. And there's also a lot of side events and they all cost money. Um, but every event is not only unique, but you end up meeting new people, different people, whatever. Um, yesterday's brunch, the last event, you know, I went straight to the airport. So that was my last opportunity to talk to people, meet anybody. And I was happy to meet my friend, my new best friend, Lisa, who's in the crowd right now. Uh, we had a great talk. This is somebody that I was kind of hoping I'd run into. And, and you know, it was great because we see each other on here. We talk once in a while. And, you know, we got to have a really nice sit-down talk, nice and quiet yesterday with a few other people. And it's just those moments. Oh, and I, I just wanted to say something to people. I always rent a car. This is like one of my little weird things. I rent a car every time. I like having the uh, convenience. But uh, whenever I go somewhere there's always other people that want to go there. So I always fill up my car with anybody. And I usually get a bunch of strangers that come with me places. And then I get a few minutes and sometimes longer to hang out in a personal, quiet conversation with a few people. And I did that all weekend. And I had, you know, dozens of different people going places with me. And it's just these few unique individual moments. Alex and I rode to the brunch yesterday together with a couple other people. It's that kind of thing. Even though it was five minutes away, you're just hanging out with a few people, quietly talking and then, you know, you go about your rest of your socializing, but it, it's just those, sometimes it's those nice couple of minutes with one person, you know, eye to eye connecting that really uh, add a lot to this whole experience. So, yeah, I'm really happy all the people I got to meet. and It was just great. I will absolutely second that. The, the, a lot of the events and stuff were cool, especially the, especially the stuff that went happened that happened uh, multiple nights or multiple afternoons over at the Bitcoin Commons. Like that was awesome. Um, but I, I gotta, I gotta more aptly agree with what Jim just said. Like the smaller, the smaller moments, like the smaller dinners and and lunches and 
like the the more concentrated group conversations those are those are my by far my favorite as far as like these conferences and meetups go yeah i thought the unchained capital uh like the their two hour uh, of like four to six was really really cool yeah the happy hour was dope yeah it's always more uh, fun when there's an open bar <laughs> I'd like to add too that event tone was right after Underground Citadel that Katie the Russian does every year. And for anybody that's going to go to one of these events, if she's got that thing going on the side, that is just such an awesome mini little conference for a day with like a dozen or half a dozen speakers, but a a smaller crowd, maybe hundred people. But it, you're you're at this mini conference for one day with inside inside this larger week-long event and uh, and then unchained through the after party so it, that just turned into like six hours or eight hours of fun one day so you got to do these little side events folks if you're going to go to these things you got to try and get to all these little social events because this is where all the magic happens this is where all the relationships are built people all the time you could end up with your best future job Gazala did Last year, we were talking about this a little over a year ago. She was not working in the Bitcoin space, and now she is. And there's a lot of people that want that. I met a girl named Julie from France. She just moved to Texas two weeks ago. Lisa knows. We had a talk with her yesterday. I think this girl's going to end up with a job pretty damn soon because she met a whole bunch of cool people. You know, this is how it goes, man. Just great. Uh, I can't say enough. I, you could Anybody who knows my voice knows it's shot from talking for five days straight, but so freaking worth it. Yeah, Bitcoin keeps going down. I might need one of those, actually. I'm so jealous I didn't get a chance to get out there with you guys. Um, you just getting back in the country, but it was cool. Um, you know, TC, um, you know, came on with us yesterday. And, you know, for the last year or two, you, you try to explain um, the experience of, of meeting of meeting these Bitcoin friends who have turned into your family over a couple of years. And you try to explain, yes, it, it is, um, it can get pricey. Um, obviously when you got to fly there and lodging and everything else, but the, what you get out of it, um, it, it's just as intangible. It is one of the most amazing experiences to, to meet all these people, um, you know, for the first time. And you're, you're putting, um, not, not just a face with the name, but also um, the mannerisms. And you have these talks, uh, like you say, you, you, you go out and, and share meals and you, you have some drinks, um, but it, it, it's totally worth it to me. And, and TC was just blown away um, how much he enjoyed being down there. Um, I, you know, I guess he hooked up. Ozzy was down there. Um, I know he hung out with Ant. But yeah, listen, if, you, if you're ever on the fence about going, to any of these and it's getting i don't look you gotta pick and choose now within a year you've got you know from miami you're in austin and then you got you got la coming up so yeah i, I get it. you got a budget for this stuff but pick one i'm trying to do one annually at least maybe two but yeah pick one and go for it you won't be disappointed All right. Let's dive into some news stuff. I feel like we've talked about Vic Block Boom a bit. Um, right. So this is one of those news items that kind of feels like it might be recycled, but it's it's new. <laughs> it's just kind of a theme, right? And uh here's the here, here's the news. ECB president Christine Lagarde blames 
climate change for Europe's torrid inflation, according to the French politician currently serving as the president of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, says Europe's scorching hot inflation can be blamed on climate change. <laughs> now, oh, we've heard these kind of themes before, and, and I guess... The thing that strikes me is, is that either these people are complete idiots or maybe they think you all are complete idiots. Does anybody have any thoughts? I watched um, the uh, college tour. I watched the entire thing, the college tour interview of Christine Lagarde. It's pretty fascinating. Um, I don't know. Like... I don't trust the word she says after watching that, <laughs> to be honest, there's some parts in it that were just like pretty bad in my opinion. Full so, on, full on. Um, what do they call that? Like when somebody like just lies, lies, lies. What is, is that? It's like a yeah, they call gaslighting. That. Gaslighting, pure and simple. No, but it's somebody who like lies and can't help themselves. What is that called? Compulsive. Compulsive, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like a compulsive liar. Like she just well, can't stop. Well, look, the, the the problem is is that these people that get into these positions, they're kind of selected for these positions because they've been brainwashed by organizations like World Economic Forum. Like they're not stupid people. They've just been taught this bullshit from the time they were like five, and they actually believe in it. I'd have to say they're also bought and paid for. They all got dirt on them. You know, somebody's got dirt on all these people, and so they got to toe the line. And one other thing, most of the people out in society, the ones that haven't figured out Bitcoin, that wear the face diaper when they're told to, you know, that's part of the problem, too, because they can throw out this insanity, and the average person goes, of course climate change, it's everywhere. We all know that. And sure, why not? I don't know anything about economics. Of course the climate affects money flow around the world. Yeah, every day. It's insane. People are stupid, and they don't even know they're stupid. We're the, we're the ones that see it. Nobody else. I don't know. It's insane. So the way these bureaucratic institutions work is they these people have staffs, and the staff does all of this work behind the scenes, and they present this this uh, this thesis to um, somebody, and it works its way up the chain. And eventually, the spokesperson Lagarde gets it, and she just assumes because she she doesn't she trusts she doesn't verify. She just assumes that somebody has done the done the work and has come up with this, and it must and so it must be so. And I really honestly believe that the people at the top of these bureaucratic uh, institutions, they just rely on their staffs. And so when we talk about staff, you know, there was the guy that was in here who was talking, he was talking to the, the people at the um, Secret Service about Bitcoin. And he said he was really surprised because 20% of the the people there knew what they, they really knew their stuff. They understood Bitcoin. But that means that the other 80% don't understand it. And part of that 80% are the people who are getting some of these um, theses up the, up the chain that then uh, becomes part of, 
you know, the, the propaganda. And here's the crazy part, though. Like the number one, uh, like job role of the Secret Service is actually not to pr- is the protecting the president. There's their second mandate. Their first mandate is to stop counterfeit money. Uh, that's literally why the Secret Service was invented uh, in the 1800s, because when the central bank, the second central bank was removed, uh, it was just counterfeit money everywhere because each bank had their own notes. And that's why the Secret Service was created. So their literal number one priority job is to stop counterfeiting. And like was just said, 80% of them have no idea what the hell Bitcoin is. So going back to uh, Christine Lagarde, um, the, the the key part in that interview, which I thought was, you know, like the standout moment, uh, the interviewer is talking about the central bank's balance sheet, the European central bank's balance sheet. He points to the graph. We've all seen it. <clears throat> where it's basically just exploded in the past two years, gone up by trillions of dollars. And he says to Lagarde, he says, but how do you get it back down, right? And Lagarde says, it will come down. It will come in due course. <laughs> and, then, and then he says, like magic. Yeah, and then he says, how? And then she gives him this like, this like, you know, just fucking like pointed look. And she's like, in due course, it will come. So I mean, well, like, how, okay, okay, quick question: How is that different from what the Ethereum Foundation says about every criticism that uh, has come towards their blockchain? Well, it's different because these people control the entire global economy. So I mean, that's the key difference. It's like these people are running the whole show, and they and they can't even answer the fucking question of like, how are you going to fix things? Like, isn't it your job to know how to fix things? Like, how, right? And it's because they don't know. And what they're doing is they're just looking for scapegoats. They're looking for answers as to why it's gotten so bad without blaming themselves. So obviously they're going to point to climate change. Obviously they're going to point to Ukraine. They're going to point to Bitcoin eventually. They're just going to point to everything that is kind of like it seems like it could be causing They'll problems. They'll blame El Salvador. El Salvador yeah. is going <laughs> to collapse the, the world gonna, financial system. They'll blame everyone but themselves. Haven't they already blows. blamed? Haven't they already blamed Bitcoin? Wasn't what wasn't that part of the Bitcoin's going to boil the oceans thing? I mean, they, they've been they've been ramping up the propaganda for the past few years, and they've been saying, you know, kind of elusively, like Bitcoin could cause these problems. They haven't straight up said like the economy's collapsing because of Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin's not large enough at this point to you know directly point a finger at it. But once it becomes large enough, you better believe they will. I'd like to uh, add to what I think Peter said before about um, these politicians. Uh, they have to rely on their staff to do a lot of work for them. Um, I mentioned in this space a while back that I had met with a New York State senator. I happen to be meeting with him again tomorrow. And I had been thinking about this. Like, I want to get information into this, the hands of his staff. But I, I suspect that the staff and the politicians themselves get bombarded from so many angles. It's like the squeaky wheel gets the oil. They're going to focus on the guy, the people, the organization that's throwing them yeah, up. Money. Is it, yeah, is it the squeaky wheel? Yeah, you just said it. Is it the squeaky wheel or is it the money? It's the money. Right. So I might talk to the guy about Bitcoin and he might be interested and he might think it's great and we need to do something. But then, you know, the next two weeks, 500 other people are talking louder than me and they forget all about it. And it goes down under the bottom of the pile again and nothing gets done. The staffers don't learn. 
the people in power don't learn and shit doesn't happen the way it needs to happen. And it's just, Hey Jim, Jim, maybe you should just give him your, your hour long, uh, Bitcoin, uh, 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 how Bitcoin works. Cause I heard that that was an incredible, uh, incredible hour. Well, you know, occasionally a staffer uh, knows what they're doing. Then you, how else did we get the Bitcoin sign guy? Well, that's true, but there's too many staffers. There's too many. A few are going to get it, like in everything in life. But the system's so big and broken that there's too many of them that are still clueless. It seems to me, anyway. I think all of this is barking up the wrong tree, and I'll explain in a second. But go ahead, Wicked. Yeah. So I threw in the nest. I mean, speaking of you know those in power versus the staffers, right? Um, I threw up in the nest uh, a tweet. Um, basically, you know, it has a little clip of the president of the federal reserve in Minneapolis talking about, you know, essentially why we don't need a CBDC. And I thought that was really interesting, right? Cause it's kind of like going against the grain a bit. Most central bankers you hear about seem to be in favor of CBDCs, but then this dude from Minneapolis um, seems to be pretty opposed to them. And he's, you know, all the same talking points that we usually say, you know, just that CBDCs are going to be, essentially abused in all these different ways. And he's kind of saying the same things. He's like, why do I need a CBDC when I can just send a dollar through Venmo? Like, what is it, what does it offer? What does it make better? And, and really the only answer is it makes it so that they can track things more easily so they can control things more easily. And he kind of talks about how maybe that's not a good idea. So I thought it was really interesting that like at least one of them, you know, took the blinders off and is thinking for himself, but like, yeah, overall, you know, uh, these people just aren't seeing it straight. I don't think. Yeah, no. I, I've been to a couple of uh, uh, presentations by like central bankers, like actual central bankers. They really do understand the system super well. Their job is to be within the system, and those that like, there's really not much they can do, even though they completely understand it. So, uh, yeah, just like I was there for a um, a Q and A with one that was retiring, and uh, he really understood Bitcoin. He really understood what's going on. It's just that they have a very specific job. and uh, But uh, there's one more reason besides easier to track everything. They want to remove the middleman. Like right now, we have our bank accounts with private banks. Uh, and the government is like, hmm, that makes it so much easier to confiscate and just cut off your use of the funds. Uh, let's cut out that bank middleman so you're holding your money directly with us. And we're going, going back to what Christine Lagarde was saying about blaming inflation, blaming inflation on climate change. It just seems like like a like a witch hunt, you know. Like they're they're trying to blame everything they can on inflation, besides looking in the mirror and saying maybe we maybe we we mishandled the situation all these years as we printed all this money. Like they can't they can't sit down and say maybe it's the money printing. Like the, like it's amazing that they won't sit down yeah. and say that that's the obvious thing. And they'll look at everything else that's going on and they won't ever say like, they can't even acknowledge it's possibly that we're just printing all this money. And that's where inflation's coming from. Well, it's, it's the ultimate meme, right? Like the, the federal, uh, the, the, like the central banking office is that meme where the guy in the, in the boardroom, like answer a question gets thrown out the window. Uh, that's the, the ultimate meme is, uh, <laughs> is that. Well, you know, if you build a house on a swamp full of quicksand, uh, the person who builds that house is never going to admit they did that in the wrong place. Because it's not like they can just stop being 
in a swamp on quicksand. They built the damn thing there. It's the foundational layer of the whole thing is the debt-based system. So they're never going to actually admit that that's wrong because that's basically admitting the entire system is fraud. Um, I just want to say, what's up, y'all? About six of you guys were, were here at the conference with me. It's Monday morning, and I'm just getting ready to eat some breakfast and go to the airport and get home. But, uh, man, Bitblock Boom was fun. Tone, it was yeah, so it cool was to fun. meet you. It was epic to, uh, to, to meet you in person and, and play in your poker game. That was fucking epic. It was way more fun than the casino night that the conference put on. And oh. D is such a cool cat. Gaza is just this beaming person. That was so cool to meet you. Surfer Jim, holy fucking shit, dude. I feel like I got an uncle. This dude's amazing. And fucking Ant, my homie, like, kicked it with me for multiple days. That was so fucking cool. Alex, every one of you guys got to meet Alex in person. This band is incredible. And even producer yeah, I got, Jacob. I got to do that, I gotta do that someday, man. Producer Jacob was fucking super cool, too, man. All these people. This is just, this is like a family. It's epic. You guys got to come out, meet people in person. Before, But I told him about our little poker exploit that you dragged me into. So that was awesome, bro. That was such so much fun. So TC, my when I met TC, man, let me tell you about this guy really quick. Is that like he's got such a great vibe. Like he's just emanating with this. It's hard to describe. Just positive energy. And you guys don't know, but this dude is the shadowy super coder, like a MFer, man. Like he... <laughs> I, I'm not going to dox what, what he does because he asked us to kind of keep all that confidential. But let me tell you, man, this dude is like, um, he's he's one of the key guys, man. He's making it all work. He's putting it all together. I don't want to go backwards on you, Alex, but I just want to mention when I sat down with TC, I met his wife, his daughter and his mother-in-law. And it was one of those private moments. It was us and one other person 15 20 minutes his mother-in-law isn't fully there yet but we worked on her it was one of those things you know and it was great because you know maybe the mother-in-law doesn't want to listen to the son-in-law all that much but then some dude surfer jim starts chiming in and we're on the same level and she's starting to go wow wait a minute we totally turned her mind around about the wastefulness of energy uh with bitcoin mining and it was one of those i could see it in her she had a little mini epiphany moment and Again, it's these sometimes these little personal times that make the whole event. And hanging out with TC and his whole family was really cool for me. Yeah, I'm never gonna forget that. Uh, me and Surfer Jim did tag team orange pill on my on my on my mother in law. That was uh, very memorable. For sure. Anyway, sorry, Good. I didn't mean to derail the conversation. I just had to jump up here. This is, I just realized like more than half the stage was there with me this weekend and it was. Yeah, it was no derailment. It's actually like, you know, great ruminations, you know. Hey, Alex, uh, you were going to tell us why, why we were all wrong about our supposition that uh, uh, staff is part of the problem with uh, Christian Lagarde. Oh, okay, right. So back to that subject. So. Part of what, part of what um, Jeff Booth talked about, he had some really great insights, man. God, I hope they turn that into a video. And without like going deeply into all the insights, the first was is that we're in this massive clash of ideas. One is kind of like, you know, it's 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 the transition from the celestial bodies revolve around the Earth to 
uh, everything revolves around the sun. You know, it's the, it's the Galileo um, paradigm shift. And then you have all these entrenched people who are in power, who are in charge, who want to believe this certain way. And uh, so you have this clash of ideas. And, and as humanity comes to grips with that, there's kind of a big shakeout. And the shakeout closely resembles, he, he, he did an analogy where he was basically talking about complexity theory. I mean, he, he had a table of sand, one, one, one piece of sand dropped on the table at a time till it creates this gigantic pile. And throughout this kind of pyramid of sand, if you will, if you can picture a pyramid of sand on a table because you keep dropping, 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 there are these fingers of instability and, and it's like a complex system. It gets into a critical state. Next thing you know, you have a parrot or you have a phase transition. It's called in physics and, the, and, you know, pieces of the pile will fall off or maybe the whole pile will go to zero. Um, and it happens super, super fast. I thought that was really freaking interesting because what it tells us is you don't know the one thing, like the one thing. What's the one thing that's going to cause all of this to change? You don't know. It's literally impossible to predict the one thing. But it's almost it's almost inevitable in time as as the the energy state of of the overall complex system continues to rise, right? And the instability, the fingers of instability continue to get more powerful. Uh, and then finally, and here's the last part, and this is the part that I was going to talk about, Peter, is, is that you you cannot change the system from inside the system. So all this talk about like getting with the legislators and all this talk about Christine Lagarde and all this talk about uh, Karsten's Augustus or whatever the hell his name is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. While it's important because we need to track what's going on at the end of the day, we're never going to change the world from inside the system. We have to move outside the system. We have to get off of their monopoly board. We have to get on our monopoly board. There's a bridge right now. So everybody's playing monopoly on their board, but there's a bridge to this new board and the new board's played with Bitcoin as the money instead of their fucking money. We just need to cross the bridge. That's it. If they're bored, play on our board, change it from the outside. That's, that's the point. So two, two things I wanted to say in response to what Alex was just saying. The first is that um, Copernicus was the one, you know, who, who famously suggested the sun was at the center of the universe or center of the solar system. And Galileo, Galileo was the one who, kind of proved it and made it you know more uh common knowledge um and by the way there was a hundred years between the two so good ideas take a long time to spread <laughs> that's that's number one uh number two um i think i think we do know the thing that's going to i, I forget what the words you said alex but but change things or or you know kind of challenge and it's bitcoin right bitcoin is that thing I think we've we've all realized that, and we're kind of just waiting for the rest of the world to wake up. Yeah, Bitcoin is a new system, right? But you can't predict the event in history that causes that phase transition. You can't predict that. Well, I guess what I would say is that the the phase transition isn't a single event. It's a it's a it happens over a span of time, and I think because of Bitcoin, it's shining quite a bright light on the current system, which is going to collapse anyways but the fact that we now have kind of this portal into another system 
which, you know, <laughs> is fundamentally just so much more superior that, uh, it may, you know, it, it may actually save humanity throughout this collapse because we'll have something else on the other side. Yeah, true. Now, I disagree with the it's going to take a long time thing. I mean, this is the this is the argument that I hear often where, you know, guys who like to be able to kind of predict the future based upon what they know of the past want to always say, well, it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time. But the point of a phase transition in physics is, is that it doesn't take a long time. It, it It's relatively instant compared to the rest of the timeline. And uh, when these phase, phase, excuse me, when these phase transitions occur, both in nature, in physics, and I would say in monetary systems, because this is actually, if you go back and you look at the collapse of different kinds of monetary systems throughout time, it resembles a waterfall effect, almost Alex, in every case. During the Jeff Booth uh, talk, he gave such a cool example. He talked about the studies that have been done by scientists and physicists where they essentially they, they pour grains of sand one of time, one at a time onto a table and it forms a structure. And then inevitably some part of it kind of slips and there's now like a stress fracture in the structure, but you can keep adding more grains of sand. And eventually there's more and more of these little stress fractures in the structure and you absolutely cannot predict which individual grain of sand is going to cause the entire thing to collapse. And it's like yes. this, this visual that it's exactly what you're talking about. Yes, exactly. I think physical systems that are unpredictable are fascinating. <laughs> My favorite is, sorry, this is off, this is totally off topic. My favorite is the, uh, if, you, if you bring your, your sink water down to just a drip, it starts to become unpredictable. Um, like that kind of medium, medium phase where it's dripping. And then in between like a full outpour, it starts to drip like at a really crazy, unpredictable, cause like, da -da 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 it's like crazy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So you can observe a similar kind of effect with a, with a, uh, with an avalanche, just the same concept, right? You have millions or billions of individual nodes, which are the snowflakes up on the mountainside, that's a snack. And the more snow is added, the more nodes are added, the more complex it gets, the higher energetic state the whole system creates. And then at some point, one snowflake will create a phase transition, which the whole avalanche comes down the side of the mountain. It's basically the same principle. Now, in, in human behavior, waterfall effects are, are the observable after chart or the, the data that you can look at that shows what happens in currency systems when human behavior, human psychology has this phase transition. And no one knows what's going to take it off. And here's the interesting thing. So if, if you observe uh, flocks of birds or like schools of fish or, or stuff like that, like all of these creatures signal to each other, right? And humans do the same thing. We're signaling, we're signaling to each other constantly. And uh, no one knows what it's going to take that's going to cause that entire mass of humans to move in a certain direction. But I would suggest that, yeah, a, a lot of these kind of things can take a long time. But when these massive uh, changes take effect, maybe it takes place over a couple of years, but, but compared to the span of time of everything else, it's, an, it's like an instant. That's a summary of gradually, then suddenly. And I was there at Jeff's talk, and 
it really, you know, something's going to happen and everybody's going to just freak out. The price of Bitcoin's going to go through the roof. And yeah, it's coming, folks. It's kind of like a car accident. You know, it doesn't matter if you're going 60 miles an hour or if you're going five miles an hour. The point of impact is the point of impact. So I have a question. Um, I struggle with this idea of, you know, in society kind of in its entirety, uh, beaming over to Bitcoin, like when things really start getting bad, right? If if they're not used to the idea of things priced in terms of Bitcoin, I, I don't know how easy it'll be for them to just pick up a new, you know, uh, unit of account. And so I'm wondering if a key component of the transition is to start getting Bitcoin prices in front of their eyeballs. I mean, kind of what Jack Maulers is trying to do, right? Where you get to the checkout and it says, you want to pay in cash, you want to pay in Bitcoin. And it says like Satoshi price right next to the, the dollar price, right? I mean, I think that's coming, assuming that he hasn't given up on that project. <laughs> I haven't heard anything about it recently, but like I'm assuming he's still working hard on it. And, yeah. you know, like he talks about that. Yeah, like once we start getting those prices in front of normies' eyes and they see, oh, this candy bar costs a dollar. Oh, it also costs, you know, a, a thousand sats or whatever, right? Or, or, or more. And then and then over time, they start to see how those prices change. Oh, now it costs a dollar fifty. Oh, but it only costs 5,000 sats now. I wonder why that is, you know? And then like, and then the suddenly happens quickly because then everyone just starts realizing, oh, shit, Bitcoin's just better money. Somebody the other day said that there was a uh, Bitcoin ticker on MSNBC. Was it MSNBC? I mean, the tickers are everywhere, right? Every, every, no, I've been there for years. Has it? Yeah. I don't, I don't watch NBC, so I have no freaking idea what they're doing. You know what I just found, which is pretty cool? I, I, I've, I've talked about this in the past, and I just never looked for it, and then someone else found it after I mentioned it. But there's a Chrome extension. Um, I think it's it's mostly just for currency conversion conversion in general. Like you can pick, you know, your starting currency and your ending one, and it will automatically convert the currencies on any website where it detects, you know, for example, dollars to whatever. And then one of the currencies you can convert it to is Bitcoin. So now, if you're, you know, if you want to denominate your life in Bitcoin online. You can download this extension and you see all the prices just get swapped out for, you know, Bitcoin prices. Um, the guy who I who, who found it said he reached out to the developer and, and was asking if he could make sats the, you know, the unit of account. Cause I think this guy made it like a few years ago, you know, back before that was kind of a, a thing or whatever. But but yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> that's also like a cool, you know, it's like a cool idea, like basically just automatically seeing all prices online, you know, wherever, whatever merchants you go to, just all priced in Bitcoin. Cool stuff. Let's hit some announcements. And then there's a, there's another subject I think would be good to hit. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, we do this every day. We talk about Bitcoin. This is a great place to come and learn. It's a great place to get your news. A lot of really smart people in Bitcoin come and hang out here, like on on the regular and on the random. I mean, we have different people pop in here. Just talk about what's going on. 
we do this as a live show on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, roll for two hours. Can't catch the live show. It is a podcast, Fountain, Spotify, Apple. Everywhere you get your podcasts, throw myself a follower, Swan Bitcoin, to be notified of when those drop. Once again, the Pacific Bitcoin Conference is coming up in November 10th and 11th, Santa Monica, California, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Pacific Bitcoin is deeply dedicated to helping more Bitcoiners achieve financial freedom with Bitcoin and have a damn good time along the way. I will tell you that there are people that work at Swan Bitcoin who are like mad scientist, evil genius kind of guys. And they are cooking up some really crazy stuff for this event. I do hope you're going to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can use um, promo code CAFE, all caps, C-A-F-E, for 10% off at PacificBitcoin.com. Right. Other stuff. You know, there was a couple oh, of different... Hey, Alex. Yes, Sorry, sir. sir. Um, right now, the discount should be 30% off. The current price. Well, okay. Because the prices went up. Exactly. Got you, got you. Do you know when that's going to end, Terrence? Um, I do not. Yeah. I think in a few weeks. All right. A couple weeks, maybe. So a couple of recent items that uh, got me wondering about whether we're actually looking at more of a Great Depression kind of a, a thing than a hyperinflation in the shorter term to medium term. Um, so this one guy uh, who's a money manager, Hatfield, say is saying that the monetary base is, experience, is experiencing the fastest decline since the Great Depression, meaning we're having massive deflationary pressures. We're talking probably in the debt in, in debt um, versus just straight currency. Um, last week at Jackson Hole, um, James Bullard was saying that he expects high inflation to be more persistent than anybody's expecting. Interest rates are not yet high enough to, to deal with that. Um, he also said that he would like to see the Fed's benchmark rate climb to between 3.75 and 4%. And then another recent analyst is saying that he thinks that the stock market's going to drop maybe 50% from here and that there, quote, <laughs> there's going to be no middle class left after this. So the, this combination of real inflation in prices and as far as what we're dealing with deflation in, in credit, which is going to crush the economy, destroy jobs. So businesses may be laying off combined with high inflation for food prices and gas prices, uh, persistent inflation. Uh, these are not super good signs. Uh, I'd like to get some thoughts from you guys about all this. So, Wasn't it the, um, the I was going to say the CEO of of uh, what the Chinese company uh, Huawei? I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, you know the the cell phone company. He just it, it got leaked out that he had sent something out where it's going to be like five years of pain, and he's looking for companies just to survive. That's his word, just to survive. 
yeah, the next five years, man, it's not unfolding. Um, it's not looking looking good right now. So I have never in my life, and you know, granted, I'm not that old, but I've never seen a Fed chair look directly into the camera and say to the American people, expect pain. And this is, I mean, his speech that I've never seen a Fed chair speak like that before. That's pr- pretty, pretty amazing tone that, that he put out there. And then I also wanted to say that um, Sylvie, who is, uh, she's been on the show before. Um, she's a German she put out a thread yesterday that I thought was really, really interesting. She was talking about how usually um, governments or entities use war as a way of uh, transferring wealth from the, the middle class in particular, but from, from the population uh, to um, you know very few hands. And she said that uh, her, her supposition is, is, that, is that now they're doing it with energy instead of with war because they don't want to destroy the infrastructure. So now the wealth transfer uh, in particular in Germany is happening uh, vis-a-vis energy prices. I I just thought it was a really interesting take on kind of what you're talking about, Alex. You know, like when you're playing, you know, a really long game of monopoly or like risk and then towards the end, there's one person who knows they're going to lose and they kind of just start giving up or, or maybe even if they're a bad sport, they, you know, start cheating or just fucking the shit up and like, just like fuck this game. I feel like that's kind of where the feds at right now. Like <laughs> they know they've lost and they're just, there's being little babies about it and they're threatening and they're doing all these things. But ultimately everyone knows that they lost their shit. So to to use uh, Jeff Booth's analogies, that these fingers of instability are growing throughout the system. It's like you can you can it's almost palpable at this point. Can you imagine being in Germany with a with a you know a fourteen x? Take your take your current electric bill and multiply it by fourteen. That's their monthly payment right now. Can you can you imagine that? I, I'm not sure that's correct. I know it's being spread around uh, Twitter a lot. The The issue is the 14X comes down to futures prices, which are highly illiquid, can be manipulated shorter term, even longer term. What's the actual? Um, I don't think they're experiencing 14X increases in their actual electricity prices, but I am going to Europe this week, so we'll see. I'm happy to stop by Germany and tested on the ground but i think it's you know one of the things terrence that's happening is is that all the contracts that the companies make for energy uh, a lot of them come up in september so these contracts are, are at a point yeah. where they're going to be they're going to be turning over and you know the other thing is, is that, yeah and, and the other I, thing i mean is, you would expect them to also curb like demand is not totally inelastic right demand can go down gas prices were going to go through the roof lumber was going to go through the roof i'm in la communist la or whatever you guys call it and gas prices have been coming down and they've been coming down based on the data as well so you can have um, price increases and the cure often 
for high prices is high prices, meaning people adjust it. They'll just adjust. They will adjust. They will wear sweaters indoors, take cold showers. Maybe they don't have hot showers anyways in much of Germany. We'll see. So I think, Alex, one of the things that that the, the result of this is is probably for the United States and for actually for the world, the result of this thing is probably going to be more of the issue because there is so many products that are that are made that are manufactured in Germany, uh, in that part of Europe. And as companies start to shut down uh, because they cannot afford uh, to make their products with these energy prices, that's when we are going to start feeling the impact of this thing. What do they make that the U.S. is so dependent on besides Mercedes and BMWs and people can just substitute with Lexus and whatever Cadillacs? You know, I think there's a lot of things, Terrence, that are made in in that like kind what? of that that re- well, glass products, for example, come out of come out of okay. Poland and Czechoslovakia. I mean, there's a lot of small things. Sure. That I, I can't list off these things, but this is a major manufacturing country of for something the world. that's. Uh, I just want one one example of something that's cr- crucial or critical. If glassware increases from one dollar to five dollars, that sucks when you shop at Target or whatever, but. Unless I don't it's think it's Terrence. I don't think it's. A, I don't think it's necessarily anything that's critical, uh, but the but it's cumulative, right? I mean, these things add up yeah. when you start when you start when you start playing with economies, when you start yeah. playing with with things that cost more. It's not just this or that. It's the cumulative effect of all of these things. All right. So I, homework for, homework for those of you in the, that are more research oriented. Terence wants to know what are the critical items exported by Germany to the United States that it's actually going to have an effect on us. You know what I'm I'm actually more concerned about for Europe in general is that if they do not have natural gas, they cannot produce fertilizer. If they cannot produce fertilizer, that's going to have a pretty substantial impact on their on the food production. I also shared it up in the nest. I put this meme out back in March. You know, it's easy to um, it's easy to be tough with Russia. All right. When you're heading, you're coming out of spring and headed into summer. Guess what, man? <laughs> now you're heading into you're in you're into the cold season coming up. Get ready for the pain there when people realize how dependent upon Russia they have become. Hey, guys, I'm going to take this little pause. I'm going to say goodbye to everyone. I got to start my work day. And that was awesome seeing everybody at Bit Black Boom. And uh, hopefully I'll see everybody again soon. It was great. Catch you later, Tom. Hey, Terrence, I just did a quick Google search. And chemical products are one of Germany's major um, exports. kind of on a, it, a similar vein. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Alex. I was just going to say, if there's anybody in the audience who's an expert on this type of stuff, please come up here. <laughs> I mean, like, I admit we're not experts on a lot of different things. Our conversation ranges into a lot of different topics. And if you are ever listening to us and thinking to you, and you are an expert in any topic that we're discussing, and you're thinking to yourself, these guys are a bunch of monkeys. They don't know what they're talking about. Please come up here. <laughs> we're open. 
I love to learn. I love to be surrounded by people who are smarter than me and can teach me stuff. So by all means, go ahead, Wicked. Um, I was just going to say, like, I think another thing that's on the horizon is um, massive evictions. Um, I think we're going to see, you know, some pretty some pretty bad evictions happen in maybe in the millions in the United States alone the next couple of months. Um, assuming that, you know, nothing, nothing happens to help that out. Right. Based on what? Well, um, aren't like the memorandums or whatever they're called ending, uh, price, you know, renting prices keep going up. The the moratoriums. Moratoriums. I mean, yeah, that's what I meant. Um, yeah. Moratoriums, rental assistance payments, like all these things are, Uh, coming to an end um and so i mean this is the type of thing right like i feel like i've heard this article uh, be posted like every few months and then they get extended and so it's kind of kicking the can down the road but at a certain point it's like you can't you know it's like you have to pick do you do you help the renters or do you help the homeowners right people who are who actually are paying the mortgages and like something's got to give right like i you know it's like either you 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 completely pay for all the renters rental uh, or rents or you you know allow uh, the homeowners to make money i mean i don't know so it's it's a it's a tough situation but it seems like it's getting kind of worse and worse the, the more they could kick the can down the road Terrence, you have something to add here? <laughs> yeah. So I agree if they do nothing, they're going to do something. Um, the student loan forgiveness, 10000 20000 whatever it was, is just the trial balloon or the canary in the coal mine for more kind of quote-unquote targeted benefits to the allegedly poor and middle class. Uh, some of these people with student loans are not that poor. They'd be considered wealthy um, or, fairly, you know, higher higher middle class, upper middle class. But um, yeah, so if I agree with Wicked, if this country is run by libertarians, it's not. It's run by two parties, both of which believe in big government. Just look at the deficits and budgets that keep growing and growing, regardless of who controls Congress and the executive branch. Yeah, bread, bread and circus is... is, is almost guaranteed right i think so won't that happen. won't that exacerbate inflation just in another at, at another yes. angle so like yeah okay. but but that doesn't mean they won't do it and then they'll blame it on climate change of course exactly <laughs> and bitcoin don't forget bitcoin they can always blame and, and, and 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 when someone serious sits down with them and asks how are you going to fix this they'll just reply in due course Jacob, good morning. Yeah, good morning or good afternoon when you're from Germany. Um, I'm from oh, Germany good afternoon wanted, from Germany. Yeah, I wanted to chime in on the situation on the energy market um, because I'm working in energy trade. I just started my first full-time job. I'm fresh out of university and I'm working in intraday electricity markets and we buy and sell energy. So I'm a little bit, not an expert, but I know a little bit of, about what's going on. And first of all, you know, these horrific um, charts you see, um, you have to make a distinction because this is so-called baseload electricity. So normally um, when you're in European markets, we have this synchronized market 
um, when you trade energy, you um, have like closed um, a closed booking system in which you have to produce and consume the energy you traded in 24 hours. So the space load is like when you like make a faulty trade, then you have to rely on the space load and the space load um, gets very expensive because normally you want to avoid getting into this market. You normally want to produce and consume your own energy wherever you are located because you don't want to overload the net network infrastructure, the electricity infrastructure. For example, if you have like a deficit in France and your surplus in uh, Poland, you don't want to like transfer it through um, through the whole um, infrastructure between. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing, which I think is very important, in Europe you have something called merit order system. You might want to look it up, but basically it's like when you trade energy, like the cheapest form of energy production, you want to consume first, which is typically solar and wind. And then you trade like the missing energy and you add like coal, then you add like the difference, different production means. And then at the end you have like gas because gas is most expensive. And then once you like covered the whole electricity need, you apply the price of like the uh, most expensive electricity consumption means you apply it to all the production. So let's say you pay like 1000 euro for a megawatt of um, gas produced electricity. You apply this also to the solar and this merit order. Therefore, like is like, how should I call it? Intervention of the state when they invented it so that you like finance solar and wind. I'm not sure if that totally makes sense, but if you have more questions, feel free. Yeah, no, yeah. That, how much that are you actually... paying for? How much are you paying for electricity? You yourself, have you seen a 17x increase in your monthly electric bill? Well, um, you know, in Germany we have like the most expensive electricity cost of the whole world. It's so like, how much has it? In, how much has it gone up? Yeah, normally it's the like prices. 30 30 cent per kilowatt, but you have a contract which is like more. Um, you know, it's like for a year. So I personally have no increase whatsoever because like the contracts are made by my city. And then um, also you have to consider like the production cost of each kilowatt is like four cent. And the rest, the difference between four cent to 30 cent is all taxes and different things they have come up in the EU. So if like the production cost is increasing, it only applies to the four cent per kilowatt. But I also have to say, like in the next year, and they're already running the futures, it will happen that we calculate between 70 cents to one euro per kilowatt hour, which is like oh, still an insane increase. But today, if you paid attention, there was an article in Bloomberg already, and von der Leyen has like, oh, um, has um, supposedly asked the EU to like, what is it, not to wreck the market, <laughs> Even if we talk about this at work, but it's like they want to do an intervention and we don't know what will come yet, but they're working on EU level to do an intervention in the electricity market, which can become very interesting and something I'm closely watching. Okay, so if you had to predict as a new college graduate or someone fresh out of university, but knows more about energy markets than the rest of us combined, what would you predict would be the price you'll pay for electricity one year from now? Right now you're paying, what, 40 cents or 30 cents kilowatt per hour, 4 cents is the cost, and the rest is taxes and fees and all that crap. 
what do you expect to pay a year from now? You yourself personally. I personally expect like negotiation. Three times to four times the price I'm paying right now would be like my average scenario. So your your monthly bill is maybe what a hundred euros right now or well I'm living alone and I'm like most of the time it works so um this is okay. like the best case scenario and I'm currently paying 40 euros per month that is a contract with 1500 kilowatt hour per year and I expect that to be like 120 euro per month I see okay thank you I uh, really appreciate you coming on, Jacob, sharing this information. Um, that's very helpful. How do you, Thanks Jacob? How do you how do you think this is going to affect uh, businesses and and manufacturing in Germany? Well, um, for business, it's a different situation than for private um, consumers because business have different contracts, and also those contracts have different timelines in which they can be changed. I think um, you know the um, economic situation of Germany mainly depends on our exports. And since even, um, well, I had a discussion with a friend of mine, he's working like in top level um, finance controlling in VW. And I had a discussion with him because um, I told him that energy is like the biggest leverage in our whole economy. Because if you um, have a product and you take it out of the ground and you, you have the resource in the ground. The first thing you apply is energy. Then you get it out. You do the first processing and you, you have energy cost. Then you do the second step of processing. And again, energy cost. And an average is like 5%. So it means if you have like a very high level production with, with um, many logistics and production steps before you even get hands on the products you use, which is in Germany the case because our industry uses products that had many steps of manufacturing before even other countries, then always there's this 5% um, part of energy involved, which means like the leverage if the cost of energy increases, is like a horrible leverage. I cannot remember where I read it, but someone calculated and was like a big company that the leverage is like one to 100. If you have like the production you do in Germany. So I think this is like, almost a black swan event um, because it's like more leverage than even Lehman Brothers had. And um, nobody knows how it can affect the end product. And everyone is talking about the energy in their own companies, but they do not take into consideration the inflation that will happen or the price increase that will happen to the products they will use also all connected to energy. Okay, Jacob, I just got a message, a DM from... um, Simplest Bitcoin book, asking about Wyan Energy out of Austria. Have you heard of these guys? And apparently, they're the news is that they're insolvent. Yeah. They they require one point yeah. seven billion yeah. euros. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah. Um, so in energy markets, when you do um, future contracts, you can basically have two different strategies which complement each other. It's even. It's like you can be short the market or long the market. But you're not trading, you know, like a normal financial markets, but you're trading energy. So short on market would be you um, have your expected uh, need of energy and you, with your whole infrastructure, produce a little bit less. And if you need more, you buy it from the market. 
And long the market would mean you have your infrastructure and you produce a little bit more and um, your surplus you sell into the market. So basically what um, Wien Energy did, which is like the biggest Austrian producer of, or, or trader and um, supplier of energy, what they did was they went short uh, energy. And now they have to buy the additional energy on the market because otherwise like the main city of uh, <laughs> Austria would go dark basically. And they cannot afford it because you know, it's, it's like you shorted some... Imagine you shorted Bitcoin and you shorted it with paper Bitcoin. This is basically the situation. Only substitute Bitcoin for energy in Austria right now. So now they need 1.7 billion euro urgently to make good for this deficit, which is interesting because if they decide that they want to rescue wind energy, then um, I can assure you it's like 100% certain that other big energy companies will follow. So if they help the Austrians, they start something because everyone else then wants help. Wow. So this could this could domino. This this does not sound super good. Um, Definitely. Yep. Okay. Hey, good morning, hey, Jacob. Sorry, sorry, I have one more question. point. Yeah, one more point, real quick. Is because the dollar has been strengthening and increasing in price relative to other currencies, including the euro. That should offset, right, some of the impact from super high inflation or hyperinflation or whatever you want to call it from energy prices going up. So German exports could be flat or go up if demand in the U.S., for example, stays the same. And U.S. being the biggest consumer market, buying a lot of German products, starting with cars and other stuff, you could see a surprising this could surprise surprise some people, but you could see a net increase in exports from Germany to the U.S. because of the dollar strengthening, right? Here's the thing, though. When you have, <clears throat> that's true, but when you have uh, prices increasing in terms of your input costs, it, it creates this weird kind of um, fear in humans because you don't, you don't, you're no longer on stable ground. Like, even though... Uh, you know, demand may go up because of exactly what you're saying. The fear inputs are still pretty strong. I mean, I know of businesses, for example, in America who have closed their doors permanently because they, they saw massive increases in the cost of their inputs and didn't feel like the market would bear the increases in prices on their price list. So they opted to close instead. And I'm not kidding when I say that. So it's no, just I, believe really... I, I think businesses at the margin, the ones that aren't that profitable to begin with, that are not making anything uniquely valuable, it's kind of a commodity business. Yeah, they're going to shut down. There will be others who will yeah. be discouraged, who could have made it big, but didn't see, didn't believe in themselves or whatever. Okay, so here's a here's an interesting um, thing. Just came in from Psyduck. And I'd like to maybe get Jacob's thoughts on this as well. But he says... I've been working in the petroleum industry for 12 years in California. One direct impact that will happen across pretty much all industries throughout the United States is that the cost of critical chemicals necessary in processing oil, water, and gas will go up. It already has. Actually, our industry is sort of a canary in the coal mine. We're already exploring and securing contracts for alternatives because suppliers have already warned us that the key chemicals necessary for them to produce the blends we use will dry up within a year 
and there is no plan on the product returning to the market because the manufacturers, who are mostly in Germany, are either shutting down or limiting production lines that are too energy intensive. Important products useful in maintaining heavy equipment will also go up. There you go. Hey, I have a question, a real quick question for Jacob. Uh, it's it's on this topic of energy. Um, how do how do the German people feel about nuclear energy? Uh, I know the government has has, has been very very against it, uh, and I'm just wondering from you know I want I would like to hear from a German citizen. How do you feel about it, and how do you think the well, huh. general population feels? Um, when it comes to nuclear energy, I have like to a, a confession to make. Because um, when Fukushima happened um, in Germany, we decided to shut down our nuclear plants. And at this time, I really liked that. Okay. So, but I was maybe 14. So, yeah. Um, anyways, um, now um, that I educated myself more about this topic, also, you know, it's necessary um, to think about this right now. Um, the weird thing is we have the Green Party here, which is like, you know, the Friday for Future thing and everything, which is connected to the political ideology of the Greens. And the interesting thing is in Sweden, where like the origin with Greta Thunberg and Fridays for Future lies, they're even Fridays for Future is cheering on that they build more nuclear plants so that they can shut down their coal-fired plants. And the same organization, Fridays for Future in Germany, is extremely against nuclear power. So I personally, um, I think the smartest thing we could do is like fire up our um, nuclear power stations or not fire up, but you know, get them running. Um, and the main problem is that people always say, oh, well, um, where do we store all the nuclear waste? And they have no comprehension that, you know, an average human when he consumes or she consumes the electricity in, in, in the whole life, and you produce it all with nuclear energy, the waste is the amount of like basically a big coffee cup. And people have like an education problem and it even goes back to our education system because I remember very well when I was in fourth grade, we had a discussion and the teacher said, okay, can you name things that produce a means of energy production that produce CO2? And they told different things. And one student said, um, nuclear power plant. And the teacher uh, kept on, like said, yeah, this produces CO2. And I was like in fourth grade, lifting my finger and said, well, wait a minute, nuclear power <laughs> does not produce CO2. And then the teacher said, yeah, well, that's right, but it has other problems and skip the topic. So it, it's something, I don't know why, but it runs really, really deep, this fear of nuclear yeah. power, which is like an educational problem. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Jacob, really quick, and we've got a bunch of hands up here. I acknowledge you guys' hands. We're going to get to you guys here in a second. We've got Boomer, K-Man, Pleb Music. Um Jacob, have you heard of these things called uh, small modular reactors, these really tiny nuclear reactors that are self-contained, pretty much autonomous, they regulate themselves. Um, some of them, I mean, they're built in a way where they can't melt down, like basically based on how they're built, the materials they use, they're self-regulating as far as heat and all that stuff. Um, and some yeah. of them actually com consume spent fuel rods from, from much larger nuclear reactors. Well, you're talking about nuclear Bitcoiner, possibly. <laughs> I mean, it's not my first time in the space. So yes. This is something, yeah, well, uh, this is something I, it's on my list to get more educated on it, honestly, but I haven't found the time. Um, 
I think like the, um, yeah, well, I don't know much about the technology. This is maybe now the hint that I should get more into it. What I want to say at, um, about this, maybe another fun fact or not, it's not really fun, but another fact about German politics. Um, there is some technology, um, I don't know the exact translation, but it's like um, where you uh, have a big power plant and you put in spent nuclear um, rods and then it generates more electricity from it. Um, and they built this plant in Germany for like 600 million euro. And then they shut it all down. And now there is an amusement park inside of the chimney of this uh, thing. And um, I don't know the, the English name for it, but this could also be on a bigger scale of solution. I think there are many solutions because this technology is not fully researched. But yeah, this is the situation like in Germany. I don't know where it exactly comes from, but it's like really... I, I I even don't get it myself. It's a it's really a problem. Yeah, I wonder how much of this really is this sort of um, two opposing ideologies. They're on one side of of the spectrum, you've got these climate crisis, anti humanity, uh, live in the pods, eat the bugs, stop driving cars, um, kind of mentality. You know, let's depopulate the planet by as many billions of people as we can. Versus let's get on board with nuclear. Like, what's the deal with all that? It's just curious. I'm not looking for an answer. It's just kind of thinking out loud. Boomer, what's up? I just wanted to chime in about uh, German exports. Um, I used to work in a high-end manufacturing facility, and the vast majority of the machinery that we use in our factory came from Germany. So companies like Siemens and, and a few other ones they build the things that other companies use to build their things. So it's not necessarily consumer products. They're more uh, industrial and commercial products. Um, somebody else mentioned glassware and glass products. Uh, that's true. But glassware and glass products are not necessarily like wine glasses or coffee mugs. They could be fiber optic cables or lenses that are used for high-end lasers. So uh, I don't mean to be the black pill, but uh, a decline in German manufacturing could have uh, a long term of pretty negative effects. They build the things that build the things. That's very well said. Thanks, Boomer. Any chance that Germany's like succeeds from the EU? No way. They would, they, if anything, they would be the last state to leave. Well, um, in Germany, politically, there is a party which wants to exit the EU, but they're not very popular anymore. Um, the thing is, um, yesterday I was in a space and we talked about this, that there is a misconception that Germany um, finances the whole EU and that we are always paying and stuff and not profiting from it. And someone really went into detail and said, mm, the whole EU really benefits Germany. Oh, okay, of course, we're like, you know, financing the south of Europe, but they're using the money to buy from Germany. So it flows right back. It's like similar to uh, the USA where you, you know, you import oil, you export your petrodollars and um, the Saudis buy your weapons. So at the end you have like weapons and oil. Um, so yeah, uh, you have money and oil and export your weapons and this increases your security. It's like a, those systems that you have in these bigger um, intertwined economies, 
they really um, they're a circle of flows. So um, I think for Germany it would be a problem if the EU collapses. So I think um, the EU even stands and falls with Germany, and we would be the last that leaves. But maybe it's just my you know political bias because I'm also exposed to daily propaganda. So, um, but this is my opinion. So Jacob, thank you, man. You've been really uh, a great source of information this morning. I really appreciate you coming up. Um, first time I think I've seen you here. Are you? Would you call yourself a Bitcoiner? Like, why are you hanging out? One hundred percent Bitcoiner. Like, awesome. uh, yeah. I I would share my story, but I don't want to take uh, away uh, time from other people because I feel like I dominate the stage too much. So yeah, thanks for listening, and maybe another time. Yeah, for sure. You're welcome back, brother. Uh, let's go with K-Man. What's up? Hey, what's up? Yeah, hey, real quick. Happy Monday. Yeah, no, Alex, to, to answer your question, I mean, everything that's going on in Germany and like Sri Lanka and like all this, this whenever you push green energy, right, it leads to this. Because the question that will end the green energy initiative is simply to ask at what cost, right? Like, yeah, you're going to save the planet, but at what cost? If my energy rate is eight times, you know, year over year, it's like, okay, well, that's not really sustainable. Um, I actually had a question for Jacob, but it looks like he stepped down. To me, it seems like the whole energy push in Germany, a big problem is the carbon allowance through the EU, right? Like, it basically, it's just they tax the hell out of you uh, if you use too much electricity and stuff. So the manufacturing, I mean, they don't even have a chance, right? It really comes down to politics. It, it's it's all it's all self induced. Um, yeah. Well, I heard a really interesting thing earlier today. I forget who said it, but like <clears throat> somebody had mentioned that in the past, war was used to essentially confiscate the wealth of the middle class and transfer it into the hands of the elites throughout history. And this time around, they want to use energy. Now, if you think that through, like okay, just entertain this for a second. Let's say there really is this group of people called the WEF <laughs> and there really is this dude named Klaus Schwab and he really did write this book called the COVID-19, The Great Reset. And they really do have an agenda 2030 that used to be agenda 2021. But some wild ass crazy person got in there and fucked it all up for him and messed up their timeline. I'm not going to get into that because so many people hate this guy. But, like, if all that is true and can basically do a coordinated shutdown of, of power generation and make power really scarce, make power really expensive, like, really, really expensive, like a huge part of, of the average person's monthly budget, would that do the trick? Well, yeah, because the whole goal is to make you is to make the general public more reliant on the government, because if you're more reliant on the government, they have more power and you have less power. I mean, it's, it's so it's so simple. You no, know, not just that. Like if, if they if they if you if you have to spend 30 percent of your of your monthly income for energy, for example, I'm not saying that's what it's going to go to. But just just think through the scenario. I mean, does that do it? I mean, to be determined, right? We don't know. That's what's that's what's so interesting, like what's happening in Germany. What's going to happen come winter? Are people not going to be able to be paying their energy bills and they're going to be cutting down the forest to, you know, heat themselves? I mean, I don't know if anyone saw like the like what, what was that headline? Like 
at the end of last week, it was like 20 million Americans like can barely pay their energy bills as it is now. Like that's a big problem. Mm. You know, we got winter coming. What an interesting time to be alive. Just change monopoly boards, guys. There's a bridge. Exit the fiat system. Go to Bitcoin. Let's create this circular economy. Let's go. That's the way, guys. That's the way. Bitcoin punishes capital misallocation in energy production. And it rewards super efficient capital allocation in energy production. So, like, the two things that really jacked up their plan, number one, is orange man bad? And number two <laughs> is Bitcoin. It's really messing it up. But could you argue, real quick, could, could you argue that the high energy prices that you're going to probably see around the globe could be a direct attack on Bitcoin? Could be. I mean, I've thought a lot about this recently in that um, if energy becomes so expensive that it makes mining less profitable or even non-profitable, does that become a problem? I don't know. This 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 particular subject has been on my mind a lot. Speaking of which, I would want to shout out to Jay and the audience. Had dinner with this guy at uh, Bit Block Boom. Very cool dude. Uh, Wicked, what do you think, man? So, I mean, two thoughts. One, you know, there's always stranded energy to mine Bitcoin with, which is free, <laughs> right? Like, uh, go next to a waterfall that that price of that energy is not going to be affected by like the price of oil or whatever it's just a fucking waterfall you just put your miner next to it and then you get free energy i mean obviously it's a little more complicated than that but but you know what i'm trying to say and then the second thing is like if, if it costs more to produce bitcoin um miners are going to fall off difficulty is going to adjust down i mean you know the whole spiel right like bitcoin kind of self-corrects so hash rate might fall but it's not like all miners are going to go offline all at once or anything like that. The ones that are the most efficient will stick around and then they'll get their lion's share of the block rewards. Alex, I was just I was going to mention getting back to your comments about uh, the WEF, you know, all of these uh, sovereign um, industrialized economies need inflation to increase GDP and decrease the value of their debt. They need it. They desperately need it to retain power. And so, like you said, in the past, it was war that allowed them to have an excuse to print money. Now, if you uh, follow the ESG agenda, if you follow um, the COVID-19 agenda uh, and others, they're all excuses for all of these world governments to simultaneously print money devalue their debt and increase GDP. And so, so that, that's where I see the connection. I just wanted to uh, kind of throw that out there. Can you elaborate on that? Like I'm, I'm trying to put all these pieces together. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I yeah. just want to. Sure. Sure. So like, you know, I mean, you hear uh, Lynn Alden and others talk about the desperate need uh, for inflation because inflation achieves two things, right? You can, once you have inflation in place, you've got the cost of goods going up. When the cost of goods are going up, you're going to expand your GDP. So you can get higher GDP numbers without any increase in economic activity just because prices are going up. Then simultaneously, 
you're devaluing the debt because you're reducing the purchasing power of the currency by adding more currency units. So the debt that the sovereigns are holding is going down in real nominal terms, going down in value. It's easier for them to, you know, they can print the money to pay the debt. So the debt becomes worth less. GDP goes up. And that ratio of debt to GDP gets into a position where uh, these sovereigns begin to have a much better balance sheet. And so historically, war has been the tool to achieve that because they can uh, print, you know, print money to produce weapons. They can um, uh, turn up manufacturing uh, and the people, the people, you know, the people suffer. Well, COVID and ESG all do the same thing without actually dropping bombs. And so that's, I think, where you were going, or at least that's what kind of was sparked in my mind. And I just wanted to add that and see if that makes sense to, to people. Yeah. I, I was actually just trying to put it all together in my head, and that, and that makes yeah. a great deal of sense. Yeah, Paul, I just had a holy shit moment because I was like thinking about what you were just saying right now. And because I'm currently thinking of, of, of acquiring some debt to like start a business. And I, I it all just clicked and the way you explained it that that this is the game they're playing. Like this is a game like the elite have, have been playing the whole time. Just like they, they count on inflation to devalue their debt. And, and, and they just like keep, yeah, it's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> that yeah, was, I yeah. just had a, Absolutely. I mean, you guys hear Michael Saylor talk about this a lot too, right? I mean, this is the whole concept about being short fiat and long Bitcoin is the idea that, that any debt that you're carrying is being devalued by inflation. Um, so, you know, as, as long as you can, you know, you're not, you're borrowing logical amounts of money that you have a, you know, you have the income to repay and you're confident that income is going to persist, uh, then borrowing money in these kind of circumstances is, is a really good uh, economic strategy, especially if you're using it to buy Bitcoin. Yeah, I think the, the rule of thumb, uh, at least for like a pleb, right, um, is don't borrow money that you plan to repay by selling the Bitcoin that you bought with it, right? Like only borrow money, right? If you're going to do it, only borrow money that you can service with your cash flow, right? Like plan to pay it back with your with your actual income and not with having to sell in the future because then you're just going to get yourself in a lot of trouble when, you know, the market doesn't go the way that you thought it would. Yeah, agree agree 100%. We good. Quite a wide range of topics this morning. Uh, I've I've enjoyed the conversation. We've touched on a lot of things. I want to welcome up Pleb Pleb Music. Good morning, brother. How you doing? Good morning. Good morning, everybody. So Pleb creates content for Bitcoin Magazine. He's got a new documentary just released. Uh, Forty eight hours in Amsterdam, if I'm understanding correctly. So no cash, yes. only Bitcoin. Talk to us. What's that all about, man? Yeah, yeah. So uh, basically. Um, we started a new a new series which um, we are working on, and uh, the goal with the series is basically to to show the world out there what all here probably in the space know already that um, Bitcoin has value and you can use it in your day to day basis. And uh, the goal with the series is kind of to educate normies about Bitcoin and really show some. Yes, yeah, some insights uh, into the Bitcoin space, how it would work, and 
this first episode was the pilot episode. Uh, we we went on a challenge uh, for 48 hours, basically. Um, yeah, just seeing how far we can get in Amsterdam. And th this meant like uh, we, we just landed there and didn't have anything set up. And yeah, just just went on an adventure on how to get food, how to get drinks and even hotels um, in Amsterdam without having any, uh, yeah, any credit card or any cash with us. And basically, yeah, this is like a new series we are or I'm working on. And yeah, very, very exciting times right now. I feel like trying to build and create content in the Bitcoin space. So, yeah. All right, so if you guys are curious about that, um, throw Pleb a follow. Uh, Pleb, if you want to maybe tweet out a link to your YouTube for the um, 48 yes. Hours in Amsterdam, maybe we can nest that. If you guys want to go check that out. What what were the, uh, what'd you learn? What were the most, uh, what was your takeaways from that experience? Um, I think the most important part is that like people are very, very curious about learning about Bitcoin. Um, you just need to overstep a certain threshold. So um, one of the most successful uh, strategies I used there was kind of like orange pilling them um, for the, the things I needed. So let's say uh, getting some food. I just <laughs> tried to go from business or from from um, yeah shop to shop and try to explain Bitcoin to them. And they're like several reactions which you, you get like there are there's like the typical reaction which is like oh yeah bitcoin is a scam i don't want to talk to you about it but there is a certain kind of uh person who is kind of like they heard bitcoin already they they are like eager to understand it and um i think more what i learned during during that time was just like the people are open to to use it or to accept it it's just that they have zero idea about it because um yeah we we need to educate the people more we need to really um yeah make it as easy as it gets i mean the the ux and the the onboarding right now is kind of seamless if you have a bitcoin next to you explaining it to you um but i think um yeah the, for me it was astonishing that um, I basically got everything. Yeah, spoiler alert of the series. But basically, I got everything that I needed uh, by just paying with Bitcoin. But the critical thing was to explain it to them. And this took like from two minutes to, um, yeah, like 10 minutes until they understood it. And yeah. I, wow. You're orange yeah. pilling people in two minutes to 10 minutes? Tell us your techniques, <laughs> Jedi Master Pleb. What's, what's up? How did you do that? Man, like what works best is kind of like um, like figuring out what their problem is and what they are skeptical about it and then kind of like trying to um, yeah dive deep into this and most probably it's like yeah it's for for them it was yeah it's way too hard to to accept it and then like the, the, those were like the two minute people it was like yeah I have no idea how to do it and then I basically was just like, yeah, no worries. I'm going to show you. It takes like 20 seconds. And then basically you just ask them to get their, their phone out and download the Moon Wallet. And then literally like two minutes later, you can send them the sets, right? It's it's super easy. I think like 
this is the most efficient way to, to do it. Just get the phone out um, and get some wallets. I used Moon Wallet because I like the, the onboarding process. And yeah, then, then you go. I mean, the problem mm. is like they, they don't really understand Bitcoin at that point, but they are able to interact with it, you know? So um, I, I understand that like some people might say, oh, okay, that's, um, it, you know, it's a slight orange pill. That's how I would have phrased it, but yeah. Yeah, it's not deep, but they get it. Like they see it firsthand. I love that. I, I yeah. think that's fantastic. You guys catch that? For all you orange pillars out there, that's the move. Yeah. Because and, and like, that question, like if you if you had not convinced somebody to take your Bitcoin, you basically were going to starve, right? You guys were doing Bitcoin only. We must find yes. a way to survive with Bitcoin. Yeah, 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 totally. It was it was very like at some point, um, like I was like sh my body was shaking because like I didn't drink anything for for I think it was like eight or nine hours, and like constantly being in front of the camera and like interacting with people, it's like. For, for me, at least, I don't know how it is for other people, but it's like it takes a lot of energy. And I, I we didn't manage to get like like drinks, and I like forgot about it. And and then at some point, I was like, "Fuck, I need to drink something." But uh, yeah, we, we didn't want to to break the challenge. Um, but yeah, then we we managed to orange fill actually like a like a fries guy. He had like a fry like very unhealthy food, but at that point, sorry for all the CDOL disrespectors out there. <laughs> at that point, I just needed uh, to eat something and it was unfortunately some fries, but uh, better than starving. So yeah. <laughs> it, well, it, I think it's great. I think this is a great story. And it just goes to show you like when it comes down to it, you have to do this. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. And, and you know, the thing is also like it, like that, that that's also a thing we bitcoiners we have to take into consideration and maybe opening here the space on how how we could embark on this journey more but like <laughs> it's very hard to live on a 100% bitcoin standard today you know it's not easy you have to like there are a lot of workarounds like we used um we used uh, different vouchers with bitcoin and stuff like that but it's like still super super hard to do and um yeah i'm i'm just wondering and i like i think my what i'm trying to do with the series is kind of like to show also the bitcoiners those are the problems that like normies might fa face or this is what we can do um but yeah totally it's like if if you live on a bitcoin standard without any um linkage to some other bitcoin bitcoin visa card or whatever it's it's still very very hard wicked i was just gonna say i can confirm um you know I, I think a lot of people do the workaround where they'll uh, use these bitcoin visa cards or these prepaid cards that you can pay for with bitcoin um and ultimately i mean you know it, without splitting hairs here like most people who you who you pay in bitcoin after orange filling them in two minutes are probably gonna they might then you know they're probably just gonna withdraw or bring that bitcoin to an exchange and get their their preferred fiat if they need that fiat right um i mean the hope is that they'll 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 keep it right it'd be awesome if they keep it and maybe they spend it elsewhere or they just hold it that'd be cool but most of the time these people are probably just going to convert it um 
so with that in mind, I mean, there's kind of no difference than if you're using your Bitcoin to convert initially. But I know that's not the point, obviously. Um, yeah. Right. No, totally. Yeah. I agree. I I totally agree. And that's like, like I you won't manage to orange pull them or like that they are like a full Bitcoin maxi in that short amount of time. But uh, nevertheless, I think it it's it's like useful to understand Bitcoin also on like the usage um, standpoint and not only reading articles and stuff like that. So uh, I hope that some of them might then afterwards be like, oh, okay, this worked quite easy and um, yeah, read it. But like, I totally agree with you, Wicked. It's, it's hard. Like, I also like, don't know, um, or if we even like, you know, everything is good for Bitcoin, but um, I kind of try to get as, as many people on, on the um, boat as fast as possible before shit hits the fan. Yeah, agree. Totally. Familiarity is a big part of it. I mean, people are afraid, are afraid of things that they've never experienced or don't understand or whatever. So just getting a little familiar with something, you know, just being around it, seeing it, whatever, makes that journey a lot more likely. And, and the thing about becoming a Bitcoin maxi, the idea that we can turn someone else into a Bitcoin maxi you know, there there probably are examples of humans who have spoken to another human, and and the result was they became a Bitcoin maxi. But I think it's probably far more likely that someone has to do the work themselves before they get that level of conviction, right? Yeah, totally agree. I think the only thing we need to do, or uh, the most efficient thing, because like if you think about it, uh, probably everybody here orange pills some friends, and then. Um, at some point, Bitcoin crash, and then you get like this, uh, yeah, this shitty, shitty uh, questions and everything, and you kind of like are in a position to defend Bitcoin, which I don't think we should be in, but rather as a Bitcoin maxi, we should concentrate on opening the rabbit hole or like nudging the people towards the rabbit hole, and then everybody's gonna reach their own conclusions within this rabbit hole themselves. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I, I much rather identify why somebody might be interested in it and then just point them to the resources and let them dig. Because if they don't dig, they're, they're never going to be convicted, really. Wicked? I think we're in this interesting kind of time where it's, it's kind of like we're right on the cusp of all the, the tech being built around bitcoin uh that will make it super easy for normies to like to kind of start to get it right where like you see the prices at the supermarket right like you see the option to pay in bitcoin uh you have the on and off ramps using lightning at exchanges right like i think well, who was it kraken accepts lightning deposits and withdrawals now so i mean like these you know these these things that need to be built out around bitcoin are happening right and um you know they say bear markets for building and so i think this next bull market when it comes because we all know it's coming eventually i think this might be the one guys <laughs> but no super but for cycle real, confirmed <laughs> no for real though like you know it's like all we need is is bitcoin prices in front of their eyeballs and then on and off ramps are just a little bit easier and all of a sudden, people just realize, like, oh, yeah, no, I can accept Bitcoin for sure. 
And then, you know, because they know they can use it to pay for their groceries or to pay for gas. They know that they can get in and out of it really easily on strike or other exchanges. So, like, you know, I, I, the tools are are really starting to get, like, robust. You know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of, like, back in the day, you know, when the Internet first started. I was a very early adopter. Like, I can remember getting Internet access through AOL. And like other similar kind of services where it's like, you got to be a real nerd to find these things. And, you know, I'm talking 2,400 baud modems and things like that. Like people today don't even know what the hell that is. You know what I mean? And how no hard it was. You're talking. <laughs> See, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm talking about. Like back in the day, like you had to have a, have you heard of dial up internet? Okay. So the way that worked no. is, is that, you had this thing called a modem in your computer. Some of them were actually outside a computer, connected to the computer. But but like when they started getting better, they were in the computer. You had to have a phone line, right? I'm talking regular analog, like pick up the phone wired to the fucking phone system phone line, right? And you, and what happens is you want to connect, and your modem picks up the phone line, right? Dials a number like beep, 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 boop, 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 right? Dials a number. And then these two modems start screeching at each other. And it sounds like, it sounds crazy. Like if you've ever heard it, right? And then they finally handshake and agree. Then they start transmitting data back and forth. That's how you used to get on the internet back in the day. Just think and if your mom, games. and if your mom picked up the line on the other end, your, your, your download of that image of that girl would like just stop. And that was awful. <laughs> so, excuse me the point is it was hard to do like you had to be kind of a nerd to figure it all out you had to be seriously committed to the process and all that other kind of stuff and then eventually it became so damn simple like nowadays it's so simple some dude shows up at your house he you know he installs some shit and then he's like okay it's on and then you just plug in and bam you're on the internet And yeah. it's not even that. Like now, you can get like five G on your phone, and it's just like your. You don't need to set up anything. It's just like yeah, the, yeah. the antenna. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, like if you start with the phone and you just skip the computer altogether, you're just on the internet magically. It's just magic. Think you know. Speaking of magic, Alex, think about if you were transported in time from the late 1800s to to to, to today, you'd see people walking around talking into these talking into thin air. And services and products would show up, and it would be like, "Oh my God, the witchery!" Yes, what sorcery is this? Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I feel like we're right there. We're right on the verge of when this thing basically becomes ubiquitous. And the the user experience is, look, I don't know how it works. All I know is that I've got this thing on my phone, and it just works, all right? I don't know why it works. I just press this button, and the rest is magic. I know I can send money. I can receive money. I can spend money. I can buy a cheeseburger. I can get a car wash. That's all I know. I don't care about the rest. I literally uh, just tweeted uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I put in the nest, the, the video, like, this, for example, I, I like in Amsterdam or being there, it was like a uh, like a farmer who, when I was mentioning Bitcoin, he said like, yeah, but I don't have any computer or anything. So like he, he had no idea about it. 
But afterwards, he he was talking like uh, telling me that, as you say, like he didn't know that it's that easy. And obviously, he told me because I I was orange filling him that he he will start using Bitcoin. But that's exactly um, like in my opinion, Moon is like okay, and you, you know, it's custodial, and yeah, I, I get all of this. But like it is such a good UX, and if we get more and more of the those uh, yeah, like on ramps, like I, I agree with Wicked. This this like how lo- how much longer or how much more often can normies say Bitcoin is dead and a scam? Um, if they use it once, they'll see it's it works. This next FOMO wave is going to be epic. <laughs> Don't start it yet. I'm not ready. Keep stacking, keep stacking. Great show today. Great conversation. We're pretty much at the end of the show. Does anybody have any last uh, closing comments they make before we wrap here? I'd like to ask a question of Pleb Music. Yeah. What's up, man? Um, I want to hear about the Greg Foss music that you made. Uh, you know, it's one of the best songs like in in, in town, man. So uh, are you making more music? And yeah <laughs> thanks man appreciate it um yeah for other people who who don't know it that's kind of like why my my hand is that music i'm i'm actually coming from the fiat music industry which is totally fucked like uh if anybody wants to talk about it this is probably another space but uh i used to make music and this is kind of like how i started getting into the um like getting creative in the Bitcoin space. And what I did with this Greg, um, Greg song was slicing up funny parts of his podcast appearances. Ah, uh, yeah. Certain mathematically that fiat currencies will continue to debase. You need to put in more money and more funding. Prices are up now. Guess what? You need to put in more money. Prices are up now. It's math, guys. Very simple. Mathematically, mathematically, now it's only math, Peter. Now it's only math, Peter. Mathematically, mathematically, math, because it's only math, Peter. Now it's only math. D-E-B-T, death, spiral. D-E-B-T, death, death, pure math. Pure, simple. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, I, I should start uh, making those again. I, I was busy uh, doing video content now. But uh, yeah, it's way too much fun to do this. So I'm going to answer this question with, yeah, at some point I'm going to drop another um, banger, some Bitcoin music. Awesome. Any closing thoughts, Pleb? And then we're going to wrap. Keep stacking, guys. Keep orange filling. Every every person can make a difference. So yeah, Pleb's together strong. Let's go. All right, that's a wrap. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin to just chill, talk about what's going on. This is also a podcast up on Fountain, Spotify, Apple, everywhere you get your podcasts. Throw myself or Swan Bitcoin to follow to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of the show. My crew, Aunt Shane, Sats for Life, producer Jacob. Appreciate you guys big time. Really do. I am your host, Alex Stanzik. I work with Swan Bitcoin. If you want to know more about Swan, shoot me a DM. Happy to help you myself. Thanks to all the speakers. Appreciate you guys. 
on the regular coming in here to spend your personal time, teach others about this bright orange future. This is what we call get on the mission. We've got two pathways here, folks. Global surveillance panopticon, central bank digital currencies, sleep in the pods, eat the bugs. I want the Don't bugs. spend too much energy. You're not allowed to eat meat anymore. You will own nothing and be happy. The elites and the oligarchs will be happy as fuck. But you supposedly will be happy too. I don't know about all that. The other pathway is Bitcoin. Get off the monopoly board, move on to the Bitcoin monopoly board. Change the system from outside the system. Let's go. I love all of you guys. Everybody have a great day today. Go out there and crush it. <laughs>